But then after I finished my order, it said, oh, you can share it with your friend. And I thought, well, if I send it to Mark, he's just, it's just going to go into a spam folder, right? Not anymore. I didn't <laughs> turn off that. No. I turned <laughs> off that rule. <laughs> That's no longer there. <laughs> Couldn't resist. But just Sorry. to be safe, I'm going to check. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't send it to you. So hey everybody, welcome to episode 312 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin in San Jose, California, Oop. where he's on fire. You didn't... We should probably do the check before we have to go too far. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, I just, I'm hoping Mark hasn't fallen asleep or something. Well, All right. kind of nodding off. Today was a long day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hot here. Yeah, you guys have got oh, is the, it? You guys have got the the whole smoke thing going on right now, right? It's yeah, like, actually, on the yeah, Twitters. Oh, that's that may be. I wonder if that's part of it. If the smoke is steeping. Orange, orange skies and yeah, just I, really yeah. wow. I, I walked out What's of my house on? for the first time today this afternoon, and as soon as I opened the door, it was like walking into like a in like a brownish red orange like really like you know like if you have a colored light bulb in a room or something like that, you know, it really, was, it was like that. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Is it like fires or something? Yeah, or? California's on fire. Yeah. Again. Well, wow. it happens every year. It's summer, man. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I don't remember if it was last year or the year before, but I remember that uh, Oregon and Vancouver, British Columbia had this like pincer attack on the Seattle area with both of them having uh, fires going on and weather patterns. Yeah, there's a lot of fires in Vancouver, yeah. Weather patterns being what they were it meant that it stuck around for a long time. And I remember um, how gross it felt that I'd, I'd go outside and it felt like I could smell campfire. Yeah. It was nowhere near yeah, a campfire. Yeah. You know, it had that scent to it in the air. Yeah. yeah. We've also Is it had like lightning? Is it naturally naturally occurring stuff kind of thing? Or Well, we did have like, we it... did have uh, thunder and lightning storms last week for the first yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know when when since, but it's been, it's very rare and we, and we had them. Um, but we've had record high temperatures for the past week or so. Um, right now, it's uh, I'm just looking it up where it is today. Uh, I can't, hold on, but hourly. Okay, right now it's only 84 degrees out where I live, but uh, mm. but we were having 105 degree temperature, you know, a few days ago. Wow, it's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, you stop that. It's the usual. Yeah, you didn't say either of us were on the line today. Huh? Oh, I didn't say. Should I say you were on the line? No, not necessarily. I just noticed that you usually choose one of us and one of us is on the on line the but the, line. Other, the other one isn't yes yes well you know it's, it's, speaking of lines <laughs> um i did actually follow up with carol about belmont her uh, her ex- her phone exchange when she was a kid and it was you're right it was the neighborhood people mm. would would all have been belmont mm-hmm. even though she didn't live in belmont but they would have all had the same exchange but similar to how you would like you know phone numbers today right so my my next three digits is seven seven eight and there's a lot of seven seven eights in my neighborhood right so what are the last four already huh what are the last four? <laughs> Eight six oh nine. Is that true? But, but I don't have a I don't have a house phone anymore. So oh know. okay okay <laughs> yeah. I was um, just seeing if you yeah. would announce to the world what your phone number was so that well you know if you want to order pizza I think I think it's seven seven eight seven eight eight zero will get you get you the pizza the local pizza guy oh I see. um <laughs> anyway uh, don't quote me on that I may be wrong yeah. uh, another follow up too I I mentioned I don't know if you guys uh, are talking about digital digital uh, retouching 
it last week. I don't know if I mentioned Hell Chromacom by name, or we used to call it Combi, um, but I found a link here. There's not much information on the Hell Chromacom system. We were talking about uh, the the price of the Mac, right, being uh, $51,000 or something like that when you soup it up. But these systems, and there's a link here in the show notes, um, uh, were basically, they were built in Germany by Hell Chromacom Company, and they were like, this is how you originally did photo retouching and digital retouching, and uh, they were like uh, $750,000 uh, systems back in the 80s. I think I said 60s and 70s. It was actually 80s, so that's the fact check for that. Um, and uh, just a, as a side note, too, and I've forgotten the name of the person, but I'll put the link in the show notes, but the person, the scientist or chem- physicist, I guess, or whatever, who invented um, bit mapping or, or pixelization or pixels uh, passed away this week. Uh, so, yeah, he was uh, the, the father of uh, digital imaging, I guess, right? Um, so two things on the fact check there. And I, I, I so I Googled, Googled around. There's no, there's not even a Wikipedia page on the Hell Chromacom system, which is surprising considering how many people I, of my age, anyway, would have worked on those workstations when they were young men coming up in the industry. Anyway. I was not familiar with the name. So when I looked at today's show notes and said, Hell Combi, I said, oh boy, <laughs> what is this link going to be that I'm going to click on? Yeah, uh, yeah. Apparently it's it's yeah. German, right? According to the article. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hell Chromacom, yeah. 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 They were, I think Cytex was another competing system too, but yeah, they were all early uh, digital. They, I mean, they were still outputting conventional film, but uh, but yeah, this was early, you know, retouching and that kind of stuff, color correction, uh, predating. Photoshop, obviously, right? But I think Photoshop came hot on the heels. And I think the Knoll brothers were actually involved in this kind of business, which is when they invented Photoshop, right? And uh, there you go. So are those in the picture, are those the disk drives that are built into the drawer or built into the cabinet there? Um, those look like yeah, inch, those yeah, inch so, floppy drives. Yeah, well, they're, yeah, it's exactly those on the side. But but if in the other picture there, that's uh, the one that looks like, um, like a bunch of washing machines lined up against each other. Those are the drives. And they were actually 200 megabytes, not 5 megabytes megabytes like i said yesterday so quite quite big a friend of mine used to have one on used to have like a dead drive like the just the platter sitting on his desk and and they were like 12 inch you know lps all stacked on top of each other now the now that whole thing is uh it's on a small thumb drive <laughs> seriously yeah do you think it takes yeah. up more than like a very tiny corner of that thumb drive just well, given yeah. the capacities yeah. i mean you're right that it, it will fit yeah. in there in the i'm sure you could put all of this in your in your apple watch now in terms of the amount of storage right so probably let's see 300 yeah, megabytes you said each of those so that whole thing's about a terabyte you can't put that in your apple watch yet right right but uh, i think that's only megabyte, 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 megabyte. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, really tiny thumb drives that like the usb connector is like bigger than the actual data portion so i felt like these um these large spinning drives were probably yes they, they would fit on the tiny thumb drive in the Whoa. like marble in a tin can sort of fit sort of way yeah for sure most of the reason a thumb drive is as big as it is is so you don't lose it. The chip itself is 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 tiny in there for most of those things. Yeah, otherwise it'd be yeah. like, you know, you'd sneeze and be like, don't move, you're going to destroy my thumb drive. Let me right. go find the right. damn thing. Where is it? Right, right. So in terms of real-time follow-up here, um, Russell Kirsch is the, name, is the digital photo pioneer, father of the pixel, died at 91 on the 15th of August. So yeah, there's a picture of uh, his son that he was one of, the, one of the first things he scanned. I'll put a link in the show notes for that. But uh, yeah, Russell Kirch. 
Yeah, and just to clarify, because when I saw the headline, I had to really think about it when they showed the age. I was like, oh, okay. So they probably mean like the actual original pixel, as we have this technology yeah. for our screens. Just given the the reuse of terms in our industry, I thought it had something to do with the Google Pixel, the phone. And so, uh, oh, man, that's like rather oh, young really? to die. And I was like, oh, wait, no. Was, <laughs> the original pixels. Got it. Got it. I get it now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's still sad, guy. but like it's a little different given the, the age expectation that I I had uh, when I yeah. better understood which uh, technology was being talked about. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, the kids today, I mean. <laughs> I know, eh? We're going to have to rename. We're going to have to call the, you know, some some new open source project like Hellcombi or something just to make it harder for people to Google mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Just reuse well, stuff. You can Google Hellcombi, nothing comes up. Took, took, I, I stumbled across this particular listing. Anyway, so what do we got for follow-up there, I mean, One of these I have is a follow-up to the app attestation uh capabilities that I talked about last episode. So Bruno Rocha has an article here on more of how that works. Um, so we'll have that link in the show notes for those of you driving at home. It looks like it works on a um, public and private key mechanism where sort of interestingly, Apple is um, is involved in that chain. So you, you ask it to generate a key and what you end up getting is an identifier that can let the iOS device know how to find that key. So you don't get the actual key itself. And this is explained better in the notes, but you end up essentially providing the public key to your backend. So it, it takes more than just your app doing something here, right? And Apple uses some mechanisms to help you understand, you know, how likely is it that, that this is an unaltered version of your app? So somebody hasn't like cracked it, let's say. Um, as the article here notes, it's it's a little bit different than figuring out, you know, is the device jailbroken and et cetera. Like it's, it's more about adding extra data points and then some extra guarantees, but is not uh, not a silver bullet, 100% proof sort of thing. But it essentially works where if you have sensitive data that you want to send to your server, you can um, generate an assertion there using, your again, your key identifier, which will tell the iOS device to grab the, uh, the private key, sign the data that you've given it, and then you can send that along to your backend and your backend can use your public key that had been shared before to figure out, you know, does this look like it came from a legitimate app or has somebody done a, a man-in-the-middle attack or is somebody, um, you know, trying to uh, replay from a cracked iOS app and, and trying to, you know, do nasty things to, uh, to your, your data over your API. Cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it looks, it looks kind of neat. I am very curious to see what the, the weak points are of this. Um, looks like one thing is that there is a, you know, is, if... Um, uh, is supported for your uh, DC app attest service. Um, and it looks as though all iOS devices support that, but uh, there are some MacBooks that don't have the necessary chip. Um, I'm unclear if it's like T2 chip related for, for MacBooks. So it's not going to be uh, an across the board sort of uh, mechanism there. So it does say in the article that um, Guillermo Rambo did a, a test and apparently it's available on, on all iOS devices, but um, but it's an iOS 14 thing, though, right? Like this this framework? I believe it is, like yes. I, I didn't yeah. See anything so it's going to be, be backwards available. So I'm going to say it's iPhone 6 Plus and, and newer, right? So not every iOS device, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I didn't really dig into the, the details of the tweet. Um, uh, I think there was the, the mechanism that was being talked about there. And, and presumably, even the way it's going to be storing these keys, you're going to end up having the secure element in there, which is not truly every iOS device. But I mean, it's been there for such a long time on iOS 
iOS that uh, the that part of the encryption story is there. Um, yeah, it's it's neat. It, it actually reminds me a whole lot of something that uh, that OAuth has for authentication. Where again, when you have something like a mobile client that you can't really guarantee, you know, who it is, and you can't guarantee that somebody isn't intercepting data, uh, there is a technique out there called uh, proof key for code. Is it proof key for code exchange? PKCE Pixie that does a similarish kind of thing. So if you look way down in the, I think it's the final code sample where he's taking this this data and saying like, cool, um, I'm going to go ahead and and have this data here, and then we're going to go ahead and exchange information there. And then on the other side, you can do some crypto math to figure out, you know, did this come from somebody that's valid, or at the very least, has it been tampered with? A very similar thing of where PKCE has a, a similar concept of, okay, so when I begin this process, I'm going to give you an encrypted um, an encrypted string. And then at the very tail end of the process, uh, basically when we're like committing to what we're doing here, I'm going to give you the unencrypted version of the string. And since I told you how I encrypted it, you can verify that, oh, this must have legitimately come from you because nobody else would be able to create that same um, encrypted form of the original string, if that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, we were just talking about, I'm not sure where this is going to fit in the show, but uh, we were just talking about, at, well, at 360 IDIV, they just did a panel um, on, you know, just sort of got the sort of roundtable discussion, fireside discussion between a number of developers. Um and they got onto the topic of um, Epic and versus Apple. And we've got a number of links here related to this story. So why don't you lead us into the discussion there, Jaime? Yeah, things have escalated quite dramatically since I put this link in the show notes. So this one came from a friend of the show, Bevan Anderson, uh, from the very well-named friend of the show Slack channel we have uh, for MTJC. And uh, the original one was that um, Apple had removed Epic's Fortnite app from the App Store for uh, violating um, you know developer policies they basically said hey if you if you buy I don't know I'm I, I'm not that familiar let's say if you buy you know fortnite tokens directly from us it's 20% cheaper than if you buy it through the in-app purchase process that Apple has obviously that violates guidelines Apple said nope you're removed from the store um, Google did similar for uh, for Google Play because uh, epic did the same thing over in the Play Store um, epic ended up coming out with this uh, this rather nifty uh the tip of my hat because you know games got a recognized game uh they had the spoof of apple's classic 1984 super bowl ad uh using uh apple as as the big bad uh big brother and using 3d models from fortnite's ad and you know the idea being that like epic and fortnite are are fighting for your freedoms uh lawsuits were filed from from epic um against apple and google i want to say and then apple as of this recording said oh by the way um epic we are going to remove your developer account on a certain date and i forget the date it's like the end of the month yeah so it has spiraled way 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 out of control um and there are some interesting uh, things that are ending up in the in the crossfire, and that uh, Epic is saying that it will lose access to Apple developer tools following uh, this lawsuit. I'm, I'm a little unclear on on the tools that they lose access to, but it's important to note that Epic also uh, owns and develops the Unreal Engine, which is a 
a 3D right. engine used for like tons of games out there. Um, and uh, my understanding is that Epic's Unreal Engine has a IDE of some sort. So if you're a developer wanting to use their their engine, you can download their their IDE software. Well, the problem, as I understand, is like uh, that's a Mac app and that's tied to their developer account. So it seems like that will go kaboom uh, very quickly as when their uh, when their developer account gets removed. So it's it's a huge mess. I don't even know if I even covered all of the nuance there, but that's sort of the big main points that have come out. Yeah, there's a couple of couple things I can add, but first of all, I want to ask Mark, what's your favorite thing in the world? A third party libraries. Yeah, third party libraries. Um, yeah, so yeah, you're right. They were called V bucks. Apparently, the 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 money or the currency, and it wasn't it wasn't that they were offering a twenty percent discount if you bought them outside of the app store. What it was apparently that they infringed on is is in Apple's ecosystem, you're only supposed to sell things through in app purchases. If you have a link to an external um, selling place, that's where the problem is. And because Arian McKelly, who runs App Figures, was saying even he had problems with that back in the day when he had a link just a link back to his his homepage was apparently in violation because he sells things on his own page, right? Um, so that's where the that's where the this started. Um, like you said, yeah, it was eight ninety nine for V bucks, uh, but of course Apple takes thirty percent cut, and uh, so Epic started this by offering a twenty percent discount if you went over to their website and, and, and bought the bucks, right? Um, yeah, it, it's it's a pretty messy thing, and and one of the other points that uh, um, Ariel McKelly says in his uh, his uh um, a newsletter is that uh, that this is costing Epic twenty five thousand dollars every hour the game isn't in the U.S. store. So that's basically four and a half million dollars a week. So now it, it got into a huge heated debate on on the uh, on the, the fireside chat I watched today. I kind of had to tune it out after a while. But but the the I think the consensus consensus is that you know for developers this is two big companies arguing right. Um, what we're going to get out of it is probably not very much. You know, like uh, Apple's probably not going to change their their terms because if they change their terms for one company, then they have then that kind of you know breaks you know the rules for everybody else. Although I think they've probably done deals with you know HBO and, and all that kind of stuff and on the sides. But um, as far as this this thirty percent, um, uh, yeah, it's it's a tough thing to sort of argue. And but I don't think that's what the argument's about. Or the argument's about you know um, how they access the stuff. But yeah, I think losing losing the Unreal Engine, I, I didn't really think about. I didn't understand the nuance of that. You probably explain it better than I knew, Jaime. That sounds uh, sounds like quite a quite a problem for a lot of developers if if uh, if that happens, right? So yeah, I'm not sure of the blast radius because it's it's not my impression that there's a ton of development on the macOS platform or Unreal Engine related games. I think folks are probably out in the industry using Windows to work with Unreal Engine. I could be wrong. Oh, okay. Hashtag ask MTJC if I'm way out there. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to impact all developers, you know, or or maybe even not even the majority. Um, but I don't think it's it's a trivial number either, right? Um, and and the impact there is is interesting. And a lot of this, both sides, right? So both Apple and Fortnite are are using very uh, sort of high and mighty language, uh, accusing each other um, of t- nefarious things and and you know clothing themselves in uh, goodness and apple pie, um, but. 
But really, when I look at it from an outsider's perspective, this is two gigantic companies squabbling over how much money each of them is is due to get, right? And they're due to get that money from from folks like you and I and, and listeners to this show. So it's really hard to uh, to sort of throw my hat into the ring to say like, all right, I'm totally supporting you know one one particular side over the other. I, I think it's more nuanced um, than a lot of people are giving it credit. Um, but it is very very interesting to me that uh, that Epic has um, you know it's one thing for them to to sort of casually run afoul of of App Store guidelines. It's another for them to very clearly tactically say, yeah, this is this is this is a, a business decision we are making. We're going to bring in uh, political you know government uh, scrutiny on this. And oh by the way, um, we're not the ones threatening to uh, you know to jump off the bridge. We've also <laughs> lassoed a whole school bus of children, and we're going to bring them with us too, <laughs> right? <laughs> to, to up the ante. It's it's yeah. very strange to see that that, that they're, they're doing this. I'm not sure that that's going to last long enough for developers who outside of Epic to be affected that much by this. But I could be wrong. But I, personally, I, I think they overplayed their hand here. They made a pretty big tactical blunder. Uh, I'm not sure they expected Google to also kick them off the App Store. I could be wrong there. Uh, so I think they thought it was going to be Epic versus Apple, and I thought that they thought I think they thought there was going to be this popular uprising against Apple, which hasn't really happened. And the fact that Google sided with Apple, uh, and the fact that Epic is acting kind of immature in this whole thing. I mean, they're they're making a spectacle out of the whole thing. So Apple can't back down now. There's no way that Apple can can give in and save face. Uh, and now Google won't either. There's no reason for Google to. Uh, so it's all it's all about Epic losing lots of money now until they can't anymore, and we'll have to give in. Uh, I, I think they, they just screwed up, and you know they they thought they were bigger than they are. I mean they're pretty big, obviously, but but you know you can't take on Apple and Google and be jerks about it and expect to walk away <laughs> unscathed. Yeah, yeah, and and somebody and I apologize, I can't remember who it was, so I can't give the attribution. Um, but I saw that somebody pointed out that Epic is one of the few kinds of companies that could make this sort of business decision in that they're large enough to make somebody like Apple and Google care and not just say, oh, you don't like it? Cool. Your, your developer account's deleted now, not you know a few weeks from now so we can negotiate. It's like, you're done, mm-hmm. right? We don't care. Yep. We'll just run you over. Um, large enough for, for Apple and Google to care. Um, and also, my understanding is they're a privately owned company, so there's no shareholder um, from the you know public shareholder standpoint. There aren't shareholders. They're going to be like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> just give them their damn money. <laughs> like we're losing money hand over fist right now. You know that you have a little bit more leeway as a privately owned company. So, uh, you know, if it was like, you know, Netflix uh, going to battle and it's like, well, okay, but you know, if the third quarter results don't look that good, the shareholders are going to start voting out your, uh, uh, voting out your CEO, uh, your, uh, your board and saying like, all right, you're done. We need somebody in there who can go negotiate with Apple and just get a slightly better deal, but let's not lose all this money here in the meantime. Right. This is, um, it's one that I'm interested in, in watching because, um, it seems like Epic's point of view is heavily weakened uh, given that Google, uh, ended up, 
you know, kicking them off the store too. Because, you know, a common thing that I've seen people talking about this case is like, oh, well, maybe this will, you know, have government intervention to force Apple to allow side loading, right? Doesn't that solve the problems? Like, well, it actually doesn't because Epic made um, Fortnite available outside of Google Play because you can sideload an Android. And they decided, oh, that's not working well enough. There's very clearly value to being in Google Play. Uh, so it kind of weakens their position like, oh, well, there's no alternative. It's like, no, there was an alternative. You just decided it wasn't good enough, <laughs> right? Um, and, and the payment mechanisms one, I think, is the one that's kind of interesting too, because it's, you, I don't think you're going to have everybody who's involved in this kind of, you know, philosophical discussion really agree on, on any percentage that Apple uh, or Google would get from uh, App Store stuff that wouldn't inevitably trend towards uh, like a race to the bottom in terms of a number. And then at some point you kind of end up with, well, is it really the fundamental question is, should you be required? to use a particular payment mechanism and therefore hand over some value to somebody, right? Because I think a, a lot of people, I don't think it's very controversial in the Apple developer community to say, you know what, 30% kind of high, right? There are some people who think it's like incredibly outrageous and there are some are like, ah, that's not that great. And there are some like, yeah, I can think of this like mid-tier company that's, you know, hurt by this 30%. Um, but even if you move it down to, to 15, sure, more people would be like, oh yeah, that's a better number, a uh, better number than 30. And some people would still be saying that's still outrageous. Like, my gosh, you know, if, if you were paying that percentage, um, you know, as a merchant for credit cards, you'd be going out of business immediately. All right, well, let's bring it to 5%. Okay. It's still higher than credit cards. What if it was two? What if it was one? At, at what point does it end up being uh, low enough? And if it was only, you know, uh, fractions of a fractions of a fraction of a penny, but you were still required to use that payment mechanism, is that still a problem? And I think that's really Really what we're getting down to is, you know, solving the, the the legal and philosophical questions of like, should platforms like iOS, like Android uh, or Google Play more specifically, should they be, um, you know, these uh, $2 trillion market cap companies, right? Like Apple is, is in, in such a, a, a rare company. Should they be able to impose uh, such a, a, a broad amount of power? And, and and I think that's what makes this difficult to, to tease apart and for folks to, to sort of fully analyze because there's a lot of technical detail that goes into this. But I also feel like there's a lot of emotion tied into philosophical differences that we kind of see both uh, Apple and Epic sort of uh, yelling past each other on this. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's move on. Um, so I was talking last week about uh, Scribble, and I found a nice little video here. It talks about some of the other features that I didn't know about because uh, I just sort of took it for a quick test drive myself. But um, uh, there's a video here from um, Apple Insider. It talks about uh, the fact you can actually erase text. So once you've created it, you can scribble over top of the text. You can, um, with the pencil, I I've, I've didn't realize this, but you can double tap on it to switch between writing and erasing kind of thing. And you can go into the preferences and set that and when you're on the iPad with iOS 14 you can click on a little uh, icon in the corner which will open the keyboard uh, for you and then you can you can go in and, and uh, adjust the settings for the pencil so that's uh, kind of interesting um, thing on 
scribble. So, so check that video out if you want a little more detail than what I had said last week. And uh, I, I titled this one Sigh because um, this is a quick article that I don't know if you guys saw this or read this last week, but apparently the Secret Service has paid a company for a whole bunch of u- user data um, that they bought from a company called LocateX, uh, which had been harvesting uh, location data from people over the years on various devices. And uh, now apparently the Secret Service of the United States of America now owns that data. So more fun, more fun for all of us, I guess, right? It's a big reason why on this show I've talked about viewing data as a liability from a developer standpoint. That you know, the if you don't even have the data, then it, it can't be used for, for unintended purposes. Which I think I, I don't think it's too political to say like you know, government agency, uh, law enforcement agency having access to this kind of data is probably an unintended consequence of that data existing, right? And we've talked about um, you know online stalwarts like Facebook and Google. Guess what? They spend tons of bucks buying, um, you know, credit card point of sales data or, you know, the pieces. If you were just like, oh, I like never use Facebook. I never use Google. I'm never online, period. Right. OK, cool. Well, you pro- unless you're paying with cash, uh, they probably have your credit card and debit card purchases sorted out as well. Right. Because they they buy access to that sort of thing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if if some companies that are doing analytics out there are probably buying uh, consumer debt data. Right. Like the. Um, you know, send you over to the debt collectors sort of data. I mean, that's tons of valuable data that you could mine for information about a particular uh, class of, of people. And um, I know I've made this statement on the show before, but, uh, you know, it wasn't too long ago. People were saying like data is the new oil. They were, I think, looking at it a little bit too, uh, too naively, in my opinion, where they were thinking of like, oh, it's like standard oil back when, you know, that monopoly was starting its way. Like this is this thing that's going to make us rich and it's just manna from heaven. It's like, well, yeah, but the other half of, in my opinion, data is the new oil is that oil is dangerous to deal with and you have tons of regulation to make sure that it doesn't get, you know, spilled and create environmental problems. And I think we're seeing the industry sort of come to grips with that sort of thing with data that we've gone a very long time without having the regulations and there are unintended consequences for that. So you end up seeing things like Europe's uh, GDPR, the General Data Privacy Regulations data protection regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I would not be shocked to see similar things uh, across the world in the coming decades. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, as one hand taketh, the other hand giveth away. Um, so Apple is now, I guess, based on you know, the current circumstance of where we all are, uh, they're now extending their uh, their time period behind when you can buy Apple Care Plus for your devices. Uh, previously, you had basically 60 days to make a decision after buying a new piece of gear, whether you were going to buy Apple Care for it, but now Apple is giving persons the entire year to decide. Of course, their um, you know a technician from Apple will di- will dial into your device to see if in fact it is running correctly, do some tests on it. But yeah, you can you can now get uh, Apple Care uh, up to one year after you purchase your first device or your device. That's good news. And um, yeah, I don't know if you guys saw it today, but uh, Xcode twelve point five uh, came out today, and Core Data is back in Swift. UI. Uh, the, the, the template, this is a tweet from Paul Hudson um, that uh, basically the, and I've tried it out, I downloaded it and ran it just, just before the show here. Um, sure enough, the core data template is back. Previously, you had to you had to sort of use UI kit and go away, Siri. <laughs> uh, pre- did I say Siri? I don't think I did. But I anyway. don't think I heard um, that, but... I didn't hear. 
But those things react to stuff that you might have slightly slurred something. And I knew what you were talking about, but it was like, oh, you want me to do something, right? Okay, cool. Yeah. So anyway, um, what was I saying? Yeah. So I tried to template out uh, that you, I think you had to use you had to uh, somehow load up the app delegate or something like that. I, I did a de- I did a, uh, a test of it um, a couple of months ago or last month. I made a core data thing to use with SwiftUI, but yeah, now you can do SwiftUI native with core data right out of the box. You basically get the same master. Sorry, <laughs> can't say master anymore, can I? Um, what was the word we were going to go with? Oh, main for branches. Main. Oh, primary. Yeah, primary. You have the primary view and, and the detail view. Uh, that uh, you know you, you have your, your table view or list view, I guess, uh, on the, the screen, and uh, creates a timestamp for you and that kind of thing. And you can you can drive drill that into a, a detail view if you need as well. But uh, yeah, that's cool. I'm glad to see Core is back. Maybe I'll maybe I'll rewrite uh, Device Tracker in Core in SwiftUI now. <laughs> so solve all my problems, right? Yeah, I mean, look at anyway, so I'm looking it. at this uh, this screenshot that Mr. Paul Hudson has here, and you know, there's a, a they practically build the app for you now in the template right it's like name yeah. team you know org and bundle identifiers all right that's the same interface swift ui life cycle swift yeah. ui app language swift use core data yes hosting cloud sure why not and of course include tests i mean it's like the next checkbox is like be a successful app I was like oh <laughs> you can do that for me sure i can check that <laughs> box pro tip yeah yeah I didn't try to cloud kit out though. I'm, you know, always leery of doing that, but yeah, that's cool. All right, let's move on. What's next? Yeah, I'm calling this clairvoyant follow up because, uh, you know, I just like being cheeky like that. So this is vaguely follow up to the thing you were just talking about with um, government entities getting involved with uh, technology companies. And there's a story here. Uh, it, I chose this article from The Verge. Um, who is the actual source? I'm not sure. Hey, Peter's to, to click through. Um, but there's a story here uh, about how part of the U.S. government worked with a very small part of Apple to build a top-secret iPod that they believe was intended to be um, a hidden Geiger counter, uh, but still a, a fully functional iPod, you know, for uh, for subterfuge, for you know, camouflage. Oh, really? Yeah, like a James Bond device? You mean? Yeah, it's kind of kind of interesting in a in a James Bond uh, gadget sort of way. Wow. Yeah, I thought that was. An an interesting sort of topic. I don't know. Mm. um, I don't know if it was for realsies and was it effective? Was it actually a Geiger counter? I mean, there's sort of limited things you could do with uh, with those kind of devices before um, things start sticking out and and become more noticeable. But maybe it was a simpler time. Maybe it was less on the radar. No pun intended. Of uh, of folks that are doing counterintelligence. I don't know. (laughs) If you know, it is the hashtag AskFDJC and. And spill your your state level secrets. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. What else have you got from us from Bevan Anderson? I mean, yeah, another another link from the uh, from the friend of the show channel, and thank you, uh, Bevan Anderson. So. This is from MacRumors.com. Oh, they're sorry. They're re-reporting Bloomberg's Mark Gurman stating that uh, Apple is supposedly going to launch a new range of subscription service bundles called Apple One. Um, various levels of subscription tier where you could have different packages of the services that Apple provides. So uh, as claimed here, uh, a basic one will have Apple Music and Apple TV Plus. Uh, a different variation will add Apple Arcade on top. Uh, another tier could add Apple News Plus. And then 
and weirdly, um, the more expensive bundle featuring iCloud storage, which I, I want to talk about that. Uh, but apparently it's not going to, as they claim here, it's not expected to include Apple Care support. So I know we've talked about this roughly before, but like, you know, how much would you pay for, uh, per month to get, you know, this sort of mega bundle of, of subscription stuff from Apple? Um, thoughts, comments on the, on this rumor? As we should note, this is this is claimed to launch in October. Um, your mileage may vary. We'll, we'll see what happens in the fall. Well, this is, I think this is technically follow-up because we did we did postulate the concept of, of bundling subscription services together, right? Yeah. Uh, Back when and, I think um, TV Plus was coming out, we talked about that, about them bundling music and TV Plus and stuff like that for instead of, yeah. you know, instead of, what was it? Death by a thousand cuts. A month, you get yeah. both for eight bucks a month or something. Yeah, yeah. But my favorite thing is, is all the different subscriptions you end up having and next thing you know, you go look at your wallet and flies just come out of it, right? Um, you know, those, for those of you who remember carrying around money and whatever, I, I don't know about you guys, but have you used any money in the last three months? I have not used cash since the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, I've got I've got 40 bucks in my pocket and those two yeah. 20s are still sitting there. Yeah, yeah, it's kind anyway, of weird. And I took yeah. all the change out too. Huh? Yeah, it's kind of weird. And I think I think I heard somewhere that that people aren't accepting change anymore because they apparently just, there right is now, yeah there is a change shortage in the U.S. right now. Oh right, yeah, so, yeah. nobody's using it. Yeah, so stores don't have enough change. Kind of bizarre. Yeah, but coming back to this, so you know, I, I'm glad to see. I, I would like to see it if they do do it in this way. That there's nothing I hate more than like I wouldn't use the news app that often, right? So nothing I would hate more than than you know getting a deal on Apple TV and music, but you know getting this carry along service that I don't really. Want want right so um i would like to be able to mix and match my subscriptions right so it's like cable tv right now we have cable tv here in our house and and there's got to be like you know 30 tv channels we don't even watch right so yeah i got like 200 channels i don't watch (laughs) (laughs) yeah like carol's got her handful of shows that she channels that she watches and i've got a handful that i watch and then then there's the rest and like like we don't watch sports like you guys do right so all those sports channels are wasted on us right but they come as part of the package yeah, you know, and they they regulated it. Just as a side note here, they regulated the the whole cable package thing here in Canada, and so you could pick and choose like like you know a la carte what you wanted, and uh, it all ended up being like you no know, better <laughs> in terms of what, once you picked all the shows you wanted to watch, you might as well just bundle the whole thing and just pay for the bundle, right? So yeah, there there was, is a an aspect of this that is kind of similar to um, I'm going to go with fast food, right? So, so use McDonald's because it's what's that? Is that like the stuff they sell in restaurants? I, I remember restaurants. <laughs> it's the it's the you know the location that um, you know the the Uber driver or the DoorDash or Grubhub person goes to in order to pick up the food. Oh, those places. Yeah, okay, it's you. like a kitchen, but it, it has more capacity for things in the future, right? So they they really thought about expansion in the future. You know, maybe they could actually have people there instead of just shipping things directly out. Um, but in in fast food setups you'll notice like you know a traditional combo like a like a burger with fries in a drink is a price that is definitely higher than let's say just the the star of the show the burger the sandwich um but is yet cheaper than if you bought each of the individual components separately and sometimes people will wonder like oh well why did they do that so if i if i bought all three of these separately it'd be i don't know let's make up a price like nine dollars but if i bought 
this as a combo, it's $7.49. Like, that doesn't make sense. It's like, well, because if you bought just the sandwich, you'd be paying, you know, five, six bucks. And then you say, well, for $1.50 more, I could have a whole meal, right? I'd have fries and a drink. So rather than getting that smaller value out of you for just the one component you bought, uh, they get an overall, you know, average selling price that's higher by convincing you to buy the bundled deal. And I fully think that that's probably what Apple is doing here. It just makes good sense, right? There are people like me who um, I do pay for a tiny amount of, of iCloud storage. I am an Apple Music subscriber. I am a um, I am a Parasite subscriber to Apple TV Plus because I got it for free with my, my MacBook that I bought. And I'm definitely going to stop subscribing when that free year is up. But it makes sense, right? Like I, I probably wouldn't be in the market for Apple's uh, News Plus because that's that's just not me. I'm I'm part of the problem, right? I'm destroying democracy and and quality journalism by refusing to pay for it. I fully cognizant of that. Um, but if it was included for you know a slightly higher price than if I just paid for Apple Music, um, but not so much that it's as if I bought you know all three services individually. I'm like, yeah, you probably could find a price range that would convince me. Uh, the one that's sort of weird to me is is this article's uh, recap and statement that like a more expensive bundle it seems like the the most expensive bundle includes iCloud storage I'm like but why isn't that like the cheapest thing they could possibly give you like they have to pay royalties for for music they have to pay some sort of revenue sharing or royalties for news plus TV plus cost a tons of of capital and possibly even royalties to to get the content iCloud is like hey I put a a server out there in the desert and cooled it great <laughs> we're done <laughs> right like what what is what's the deal with that one like that's the one that i would think would be on the lowest tier to try to convince you of like hey we threw in you know 50 gigs of iCloud storage on top of your apple music plus sort of subscription okay so uh what's next tommy i'm dying to see this one actually this, this sounds like the kind of coding i do when i, when I work <laughs> i spend like a week and i end up having like one line of code changed yeah th- this is the the very well-named blog post you've only added two lines why did that take two days exclamation point by Matt Lacey. Um, and he talks about how there's, uh, you know, some some thoughts behind those sorts of statements of like, you know, lines of code equals effort. Uh, lines of code is value or that all lines of code are equal. And he posits a world where that's not true. And, and this sort of jumped out at me because I have had those sort of irrationally um, self-demotivating days where I'm like, wow, I spent the entire day debugging this problem and it was like a semicolon. Or it was, uh, you know, one line of code that was in the wrong place. Or maybe it was two lines of code that I had to add. And it just feels like, wow, I it, it kind of looked like it did nothing. It's like, oh, Lopez, you spent all day on this. Where is the pull request for code reviews? Like, Here you go. It's two lines. <laughs> See this diff? <laughs> it fits in a tweet, right? And um, psychologically, you feel bad. But I think that uh, that Matt Lacey here did a really good job of, sort of breaking down, like, well, why did a fix that appears to be, you know, on the surface, very simple and straightforward from the, the changes it took to do, why did it take two days? And it's like, well, here, I'll break down the, you know, 
eight-ish or so sort of headlines like, well, because the issue was reported with a vague description of how to recreate it, or the reported issue was related to functionality I'm not familiar with, or because I took the time to investigate the real cause of the issue and I didn't just look at the symptoms. I investigated if there are other ways of getting to the same problem, not just the reported reproduction steps, or I took the time to verify there are other parts of the code that might be affected in similar ways, or I found the cause of the issue, I looked to find the simplest way of fixing it that would have like the smallest impact or the smallest risk of side effects. And rounding things out is I tested the change thoroughly and verified it addressed the problem for all the different code paths that are affected. And these are all the sort of different reasons, not necessarily all inclusive, but these are many of the reasons why it might have taken you, you know, two days and you might have had, you know, a couple different standards of like, you know, still working on this, still working on this. Oh, look, it was two lines of code, right? I think people sort of assume like, well, if you spent two days on it, there must be hundreds of lines of code that you changed, right? It's like, well, no, it turns out it was a rather sort of straightforward implementation, but the the knowledge of how to get there is why it took that amount of time. You guys had this sort of experience in your career? Many, many times. <laughs> yeah, um, certainly one that, that can hit teams a lot is is um, this is functionality I'm not familiar with. You know, could be you're you're new to the team. It could be um, the person who normally does that. Um, you know, that feature or that you know set of screens, that part of the architecture. Like they're not here. Bob is on vacation. Sally is out sick. Right. Like there's there's definitely pieces where I've had to sort of you know jump in to help triage and debug. I'm like I barely even know how this feature works. <laughs> Let me see if I can figure out <laughs> reverse engineer what's going on here. Yeah, there. Are- there are times when I've had to comprehend uh, giant, massive blocks of code, you know, many, many, many classes, many, many, you know, many, many uh, files, uh, basically so you could just find the, the five lines that you need to change to, think, to, fix, to, to fix the problem. But you have to learn the code base. You have to figure out where those five lines are and what it's supposed to do. So, yeah, it happens all the time. I think one that that has happened to people is a vague description of how to recreate it. Mm, yeah. I launched the app in it didn't work is like well yeah. <laughs> hold on so it, it doesn't it, work did it fail to install <laughs> yeah. did it fail to to even start like you what have oh no well i'm like five screens in and then i press this button and it didn't do anything oh okay and then it didn't work yeah i was like all right well that's <laughs> right that's a less critical problem and then than it broke. but yeah. now i have a better idea of how to get to fix the button not working <laughs> right mm-hmm. um yeah i think the the real cause of the issue is one that uh, that's a real trap that I've seen developers get into um, where you're like, oh, you know, these things aren't loading properly. That's fine. Just throw an async dispatch in there <laughs> and then just call it good, right? Dispatch after, you know, one second or something. And it, it seems to solve that. All right. I mean, you've made it a little bit better, but you didn't really get to the root of the problem. What is the root of the problem here? Um, also, the, uh, you know, are there other areas of the code that are impacted by this? And I think there's a different way of thinking about it than just like, oh, uh, you know, this feature is used in more than one place. Maybe there's some preconditions that are not set here. Uh, I'd also encourage folks to think about like, wait, um, do we have this pattern used in more than one place? Um, possibly from from a copy and paste sort of example. Like, oh, so if they had a bug, you know, on the edit screen for this flow, I wonder if they have a bug in a very similar edit screen in a different flow. And, you know, probably 50% of the time I look into this, I'm like, oh, yes, <laughs> 
nobody found this one, but guess what? I'm, I'm going to fix this one too. I'm going to show that I can cause the same behavior to happen in a completely unrelated part of the app. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and fix that. So instead of one line of code, I've now committed two lines of code <laughs> for the two different flows and then maybe filed a ticket to say, we really need to have like one way of doing this instead of, um, you know, having two ways that then can both go wrong and uh, uh, not be corrected in the, in the same time. Julio. All right. Well, I guess we're at the picks part of our show. Um, been yeah. um, sort of attending 360i dev for the last oh, yeah. couple I of days. Oh yeah, I saw a couple of yeah. notes on that. How was it? Yeah, it was okay. It was good. I mean, I didn't like. I didn't plan on going because I'd forgotten that. Um, I think that uh, like I they had a call for John had a put out a call early saying you know with the whole shutdown and he didn't know how he was going to like even make a living this year, so he was looking for you know help, financial help, right? So I don't know. I threw bucks at him and i think Hami might have done too as well because we both got um like a ticket through uh, the tito system right so anyway i just i was just poking around I, I for some reason i was on the slack channel i don't remember getting invited but i think some people invited me because they do the karaoke thing as well so um i got it added to the list and so then when the first day came around i just i thought tammy was speaking on monday so i tried to log in and sure enough i saw there was a ticket waiting for me so i just signed in and started watching some of the con- some of the content that was pretty good you know like uh there's some like a lot of sort of tammy's talk was more sort of inspirational type talk and then there were some technical ones and but unfortunately i was in meetings in and out of meetings at the same time so i really couldn't focus 100 percent on everything right mm, yeah so yeah like even this morning when i went to went to i told everybody i was gonna you know sit it out for at 11 30 watch tammy's talk and of course i was in a meeting at 11 o'clock that ran into like 11 30 right of course so, yeah just the way it is right yeah. so and uh Jaime came over um he sort of joined in because a friend of his his co-worker was uh, doing a talk yesterday so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so he uh he, he signed up and joined yep yes yesterday as well and i watched joe's yesterday joe's was pretty inspiring so the way they did it mark was it very similar to wwc they they had people on live and then they cut to like a pre-recorded talk mm. so there was only one person who tried to do it oh, sorry a couple of people who did it live um one was jay freeman of course and because nobody else could figure like you know everybody else was sort of like on their slack channel just chatting with people during their talk right and uh but jay freeman uh, he figured out how to do how to actually have people asking questions like live right so he hacks Zoom and, or something, uh, something like that. But John, John just said, of course, you know, and he said it in Slack. He says, of course, you know, Jay Freeman figures out how to have an audience in a virtual conference, right? Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I I only caught part of his talk as well because I was again in and out of meetings too. So thing about it is, is at least we know that uh in a week or so the the videos will be available and then john said and at the end of the month he'll uh, he'll make them available to everybody else right so it was, it was actually you know surprisingly well done i think with tools like slack and zoom um it went pretty well like we we did um we were joking like you know kept saying what's for breakfast and hey i didn't get my lunch ticket and stuff like that right in the, in the slack and then um we were joking around last night or after the after the talks yesterday saying you know we should we should all just go for a beer or the whatever and and uh I, I just sort of said hey we should jump on zoom and have a beer together right and so next thing i know i'm invited to a zoom call and there's like nine of 
us on the call and Tammy came along for a bit and, you know, we all had a raised a glass and just like you do at a conference where, you, you know, you sort of take off to a, like a restaurant afterwards and talk about what you saw, talk about what you're doing and that kind of stuff. So it was, it was that would part felt very similar to like, you know, the sort of networking piece that's missing from this kind of uh, event, right? So, yeah. And then we, I just came out of uh, karaoke, so my, my voice might be a little cracky. So lots of fun. What do you think of it, honey? I didn't see very much of it. So, yeah, I I only attended the, the three sessions. So Vui wins, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Chaplinski's, and Tammy Coron's. Um, so I didn't see anything else in the conference. It just you know, didn't work out timing-wise for me. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's okay. At least from what I did see, I thought it was pretty neat. And actually, it seems kind of like a, a virtual conference best practice that if you're, if you're going to have a more traditional timeline for your conference where, you know, it's over these two to, well, let's say an entire day to like four days, right? Like a conference in the real world, um, physical world would do. I think it's a pretty good practice to have people record their sessions beforehand so that um, they can have the, the presentation playing and yet they can be answering, you know, questions and answers uh, doing Q&A sessions during the session. If somebody's like, oh, that's kind of interesting on slide five. It's like, well, instead of interrupting the, the speaker or them being interrupted, even just visually by seeing that the chat is lighting up, they can answer it there. And I also think that this ends up with the same sort of, uh, you know, safety net that like, you know, internet can go wrong and and live demos and presentations are kind of like a, a form of live demo. Things can go wrong. So if, you know, a host uh, ends up with the inability to, to connect the internet, all right, well, no problem. Somebody else can continue on with the video when you're not totally host, which I have seen with some, you know, trying to do it live. Uh, it sort of feels like going out there without a, you know, without a safety net. And I also think that um, it's a little bit easier to... Um, to have things be sort of pre-digested, it, it is challenging to try to present remotely. And I think doing it live just adds so much more extra pressure that I think it's actually a little bit better for folks to, um, you know, take the time to, to pre-record these. Of course, it takes some different amount of skill, right? You have to learn how to like composite some things together rather than being able to assemble slides and then just sort of speak to your script or wing it if you like to. Um, the, the downside I can see is that people are definitely a little different when they pre-record, right? Um, I definitely think uh, pre-recorded Tammy is a different Tammy, as I uh, said. It's like yeah, she it's said a she, was, feel. she felt different too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm more used to Tammy kind of you know going out there with like a wing and a prayer as she likes to to live on the on the on the edge sort of thing. And so having something that's uh, pre-planned out and and pre-canned is a is a little bit of a different thing. And, and that's maybe just a me thing because I happen to know Tammy personally, and I don't know that that would necessarily come across as uh, as being a difference if you didn't know uh, that person. So that's that's something I'm kind of interested in. Um, I think, again, the pre-recording is great. I think having things uh, as a handful of days, a little bit harder. Like I said, I, I hardly attended any of it because it didn't uh, match up with my schedule. So I have seen other conferences try to do things like, all right, well, you know, for this month, the month of August is our conference where uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have one, one session. That can work too, right? I, I don't know that there's going to be one true way of doing it. Um, 
And, and maybe with virtual conferences, it doesn't matter as much to have one particular style versus another because you don't have the physical constraints of like, oh, cool, we're having WWDC. It's all this month. Just fly here to San Francisco. Sorry, fly here to San Jose for this one hour session. Go home, <laughs> fly back two days later. Like that wouldn't work, right? So you sort of naturally had to have one chunk of time for people to travel to and from. And I'm definitely curious to see how people end up playing with different sort of conference formats. Uh, 360 C. So- interesting because there, there were people from around the world i, I noticed on on some of the like i mean basically it's been four days of people chatting on on uh, on slack there's a bunch of channels there right and um i also should say i didn't realize that the each speaker had a channel for each uh, each thing because mind you i wasn't there from the very keynote so i didn't get the sort of lay of the land but and there was it was sort of glued together because john did come on and and um his uh partners in crime tom and and judy chen i think they they acted as hosts you know so so they would they would come in they would they would introduce the speaker they would cut to the to the canned piece and then they would chat afterwards for five minutes or so and and they would take live questions from the slack channels right um so that was good i mean like i got to ask like uh josh michaels was talking today about uh, his he's sort of a mac developer right and and one of the things he he did he mentioned it was a setup and of course you know i don't know any developers that, that are on setups except for him so i asked him about it of course he only just started on setup today, as a matter of fact. But um, yeah, I just wanted to ask him what he thought about the, the model, and he sort of said it was good because you know um, that uh, it's it's kind of like the 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 island of misfit toys as far as Apple's concerned. They're the apps that don't that that you know for whatever reasons they don't fit into Apple's you know Mac Store model. Um, but this this setup lets them have you know get, let let you put these apps in because you know we can still we can always we've always been able to side load apps into into our max and and this setup kind of uh, gives people a you know revenue stream and a way to get their apps distributed as well right so that was good but um yeah I, it was good i mean the, the one thing like like people did complain that when during jay's talk because his video and his audio got out of sync so even though he was presenting live people were commenting in the slack that they were frustrated because it was you know laggy um there was one one guy who was uh, i think he was seven hours ahead of us he's over i guess in england or something like that or somebody came from an island in in um, the Mediterranean somewhere too. They were saying they were connecting from, and very, you know. So obviously your internet speeds are going to be the factors and that kind of stuff. But the fact that you could have, you know, an international audience, um, it's surprising. Like I, I did make a comment yesterday when I was chatting with some of the people uh, in the in the like the you know the, the Zoom that we had for beers, nachos and beer Zoom call we had. Um, most of the most of the people in in the conference, most of the speakers, most of the attendees are from the sort of Denver area, I guess, which makes sense because it's kind of their home town conference right um you know but uh but people were able to kind of like i think you know rich turton was was involved i don't know if he did a talk or not but uh he's over in the uk you know um and so people were from like you know people like yourself Jaime, you were in seattle right and i'm in toronto and you know we're all able to attend this conference as as and it did feel a lot like i was in denver for the last three days in fact you know i would look up at the clock and it'd be like nine ten o'clock at night you know and they were just wrapping up whatever activities they're doing over there and that's for when when I go to that conference, I'm kind of like I slip into that time zone and just sort of you know my mind just you know adjusts to it, and I felt that kind of same sort of thing. So it was interesting. I, I think everybody lamented the fact that they wanted to have you know the conference in Denver next year for sure. Um, but uh, you know, given given the kind of situation we're all in right now, we're all locked out, right? <laughs> so this is this is like it was actually surprise, and I did make a comment in the in the one of the Slack comments conversations that it was one of the brighter moments of 2020. You know, based 
based on all the non the, the nuttiness that we've been going through the fact that we could actually get together and you know break bread and and talk about you know <laughs> publishers and combine and stuff like that you know in the same space right and be in the same headspace right at the same time but so that was cool it's, it's definitely nice especially because 360 is um 360 idev that is is positioned in a kind of a funny place in the calendar year right where i mean it can be painful for the presenters because you know their their entire topic may be radically changed by wwdc and there are some who are very brave and say i'm going to learn something from june and be intelligent enough yeah. to speak about it uh, you know a few you know weeks later at uh, at 360 idev but it it also has been a couple months since 360 uh, since wwdc so we have a little bit of an opportunity to come together as an opportunity and and sort of have like a you know how's it going and and mini retrospective of like oh i didn't know this thing was there oh interesting that that's happening in the betas i better watch out for that for the you know production release in september so i think it's 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 pretty well timed for that and uh, although i didn't participate uh that much i'll probably end up watching the videos when they become available more broadly um and for folks who are wondering i did um i did buy a ticket uh, you know show some support for, yeah, for I john mentioned and 360 show, yeah. uh, this i don't know if you if you guys listen to uh the release notes uh podcast they had a two-part uh, two episodes where they had a conversation with John and it sounds like it was quite the time trying to to pull that conference together given what had happened with COVID. It's it's worth a listen to those two episodes. Yeah, interesting, yeah. So I, you know, I I, sh- I sh- shot on bucks, and I think you probably did something like that too, right? Just, just you know, not with the intention of having like an early bird or something like that. Just, just say, hey, I believe in this conference, and and here's some money, and you know, I want to see it keep going, right? So, because I think that you know, we're finding this out. We're we have a couple of uh, businesses that we're involved in here in Toronto. Like Carol does sewing for a ballet, and uh, it's a nonprofit ballet, right? And it's you know, it's meant to to give girls and boys the the opportunity to dance and and learn about ballet and learn the craft and um you know they're not they're not having classes they haven't heard from the rehearsal halls if if there's going to be any any possibility of them doing classes in september of course they had to end the year early they didn't do their every year carol does a recital and so she's crazy doing costumes you know in in april for like a may show and of course that all shut down real quick and that's why she pivoted over to doing uh, masks right um she needed she had that energy and she was ready you know this is the first year in like I don't know 20 30 years that I've known her that she wasn't sewing for the ballet right so um yeah so and I think a lot of businesses are going to going to be um are going to be closing down um and and it would be a shame to see something like 360 idev not survive which is you know again why I made my contribution right so to uh, do, do my part right anyway, it's it's a good show I mean like uh I think you know there there is a model of of talk that can be done this way I mean like uh, I I could see I don't see why we couldn't have you know our regular meetups like our local heads kind of meetups this way too like you know just sort of everybody just get a can of beer or a glass of beer and and join a zoom call after after uh after a presentation of some type right so um you know we don't have to be physically in the same space although that's always nice to do right now, and you went to a virtual meetup too right i mean one in the uk yeah it's kind of funny that you mentioned the the meetups thing it's the the ones that i've traditionally gone to i'm i'm just gonna have to throw some shade at my uh my seattleites <laughs> 
Yes, the, the Seattle Xcoders West Side and East Side editions have uh, have not had virtual editions. Um, I I don't know the inner workings why, but um, you're right. I've participated. I, I presented at Mobile Knots K N O T T S. I think yeah, I think it's K N O T T S for Nottingham. Um, you know, it's in the United Kingdom, and I've uh, participated in uh, Write the Docs Toronto, um, a different one that was over in Spain. I want to say like there everything going online for these meetups sort of made it more sort of plausible for me to meet other people and, and get exposed to a couple other different things. So it's a little bit different than, than being in person. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It is a little bit challenging to not have the, you know, in-person connectedness of like, oh, cool. I've never tried that kind of beer. I will try that too. Right. Or, you know, whatever drink and coffee or soda or something. Um, but it is interesting to see, you know, more perspectives than I would have seen merely going to the local in-person meetup. So it's kind of a, a, a giveth and taketh away kind of situation, I think. I don't know that one is is necessarily better than the other. I think there's just different trade-offs for the different kinds of, of meetups. But while we're talking about it, I did put it in the show notes, so I'm going to talk about it now, and that that I went to we, speaking of local meetups, um, we have a group here, NS Coders in Toronto, that are behind the Swift TO conference, which is traditionally in August as well, right? Um, and so th- they had they booked the conference. I'd bought a ticket back in, in I bought an early bird ticket a while ago, and uh, they they ended up cutting the price in half. Um, and uh, I just sort of said, well, then make more than just code a sponsor. And um, uh, they um, they had a virtual uh, workshop, so they had a full day long nine nine thirty a.m. to four thirty p.m. They had Paul Hudson from the UK come on and do um, sort of catch us up on all of the new shiny Swift UI stuff that we that. To Apple introduced at, uh, of course, you know, Paul Hudson only needs 20 minutes to prepare something after Apple introduces it, right? But um, yeah, so we went through all the sort of cool stuff. We went through disclosure groups and uh, the new grid system. Um, we And he did, a, he did a couple of examples where he, he would sort of have a sort of a basic generic SwiftUI app and go through the principle with us, do the coding, and then he jumped over to an example app and we would modify the app to, to with what we just learned from him. Um, and we also did a, we also took a, like a short uh, look at, uh, app clips, which is kind of interesting too. So, um, that was a day long, um, uh, conference. So that was sort of an interesting thing too, where, where you've got, you know, Paul Hudson's attention for the entire day and, uh, and he's going through all the sort of new stuff and, you know, it's code along with Paul kind of deal. Right. So of course I took a hundred screenshots cause I couldn't keep up with him. Um, yeah, it was, it was a good, good day. Like, you know, I'll have, I have some, you know, some things that I had wouldn't have tried out like the new map kit stuff, um, you know, for, for, uh, laying out maps in, in, uh, Swift UI and, and the kind of, uh, markers you can put in there or to, you know, to, you know, a little pit and you drop the pin and you put the marker and what have you. And how do you do the locations from one place to another, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that was a, a really interesting, interesting talk too. So, um, I think it's going to come out the video for that's going to come out in a week or so as well um we have access to to the video now as as attendees but i think that uh um uh, the hosts are going to make that available as well too so that was an interesting way to to you know have this kind of conference get together thing and in that case too there were again there were people from around the world not just uh, the toronto area that uh, joined the conference as well that was good that's our virtual virtual conference coverage done virtually on zoom 
<laughs> so my pick is, um, you know, in the collect them all sort of thing, we've talked about uh, for sure Microsoft and Google, possibly even IBM opening up their uh, machine learning courses and Amazon is doing the same thing here. So we've got the link in the show notes for y'all. Uh, Amazon's machine learning university is going to be available uh, to the public. And it's the, as they say here, it's the same training that they offer to their employees. So uh, as you might imagine, machine learning is a, a big part of Amazon's business and they want to infuse that knowledge through more and more of their employee base. They've had this this training available and uh, now they're making it available to us out in the public, which is cool. cool. Is this based on like Android or is it platform independent kind of stuff? I don't know. I haven't really looked into it. I assume the concepts are going to be independent of platforms, but uh, given that this is coming from Amazon, I just assume that they would use, uh, you know, AWS uh, technologies as part of the here's the practical tool you use for this implementation, right? Very similar to what we've seen for uh, Google's courses that talked about the uh, the principles, but then said, cool, now go run this code lab of, um, you know, on Tensor Google Cloud Flow. Platform. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. TensorFlow, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. yeah. All righty. Cool. That's neat. Free, free learning is always good, right? It's really hard to complain about free educational materials being out in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Um, so I have a couple of picks here. Uh, one was uh, a, an article that I saw uh, the other day, I think um, 1Password had, had mentioned it on uh, their Facebook page and uh, basically it's the best, best password managers to secure digital life. We've talked about uh, password managers many, many times. Our, our favorite one tends to be 1Password. I don't know if Mark's a user. I know Jaime and I are users of 1Password. Um, in fact, I have a family account and I've got I have now three three family members using it, as well as myself. Um, and it goes through the, the one goes sort of a ranking here. Uh, the best overall, of course, is 1Password. Kudos to them for that. Um, as well as some free options, one from one called Bitwarden. Um, and there's uh, another full-featured one called Dashlane. And uh, there's, there's a free, yeah, there's a self-hosted one called KeyPass XC, which kind of looks window-ish to me. But uh, yeah, so you can you can run your own. And uh, interest, And a new one is that's come out, I've heard about this recently, is NordPass, which is an interesting one. And um, I think it's funny that, or is it funny or is it sad or whatever it is that honorary mentioned last pass we normally talk about one password and last pass sort of almost in the same sentence but uh i just find it it's curious as to why last last pass is down here um in the honorable mentions category any thoughts on that it, it is a little strange and i kind of wonder uh, if it i don't know if it's just a particular point of view if it's the kind of circles i run in that, that differ from this authors mm-hmm. or maybe maybe it's the children who are wrong maybe the author is the one who's uh, who's out of touch <laughs> Right. Um, I, yeah. I, when I look at this list, I think, well, in the enterprise, I think that LastPass tends to have the uh, the broader base. It's not talking necessarily about, um, you know, qualitatively is LastPass the best. I've I've used it before at uh, at jobs. It, you know, it does a pretty good job of dealing with teams. It's to my usage kind of clunky compared to to One Password, which is my favorite. I, I think it works pretty swell. I've not managed a, a family or a team. So I haven't done a lot of experience with that. Uh, I don't know if it if it loses out in in the the corporate buying world because you know maybe they have a smaller sales team or heck maybe just because it's Canadian and I work in the United States so there could be that aspect. But uh, looking away from those, Bitwarden and KeePass are uh, some open source ones. What uh, I think they're both open source. It's certainly one of them open source that keeps getting mentioned a lot in the the Reddit or Hacker News sort of world where people are like I don't want to pay 
for this. And also I want to be able to look at the code, make sure it's not doing anything nefarious. I think that's where those sort of um, come in quite nicely. And uh, Dashlane, uh, we've definitely mentioned before, right? We, we mentioned their, um, you know, my passing familiarity with it. And I think they had the really cool Super Bowl commercial. Um, they've been around for a while, but it seems like maybe they're kind of on a, on an up and comer sort of thing from a, you know, revitalized. Very curious to see how that works. But I had um, honestly completely blind to NordPass. Um, and I'm a little shocked that they didn't mention Dropbox's new feature that does password management. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. But, you know, I think I say without, you know, <laughs> I am not a lawyer. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm also not your IT, you know, administrator. I, I would guess it, it'd be really hard to go wrong with probably any one of these uh, compared to remembering your passwords, you know, yourself or heaven forbid, reusing the same password everywhere, regardless of how uh, how strong you think that uh, that 64 character password is like it just needs to be exposed in one place and you're toast whereas using a password manager means that you really only what have you should a- do is have a 64 character password and change one letter each time that'll that'll work really well <laughs> oh man truth, truth be told there there are older systems that i have worked with in the past and they had like oh this this password needs to be changed every month i'm like oh good so what you've done is you've encouraged me to come up with a system where I add one at the end, two at the end, three at the end, four, <laughs> <laughs> until right. I get around to the full year. I was like, cool, now one is okay again because it's fallen yeah. out of your, your silly check. Um, but yeah, I've, I've lived that life. I've, I've not liked it. <laughs> I prefer being able to just tell one password, generate me a, a super strong password. Cool. I don't give a crap what it is because I don't need to remember that. You remember that for me on all my devices. Yeah, it's funny, you know, like I I, I started using one, pa- one password to start offering you know, word passwords. Apparently they're stronger where you have like four words and they're separated by punctuation. Yeah. Passphrases is what they call them. Some, some sites won't take that, right? Because it's not got alphanumerics or whatever, but, but just as a side note here. So, so we talked about last pass in the honorable mentions. I think one of the reasons why it says here that they've dropped their Mac OS app because citing Apple's changes in their rules. So in their developer tools. So hmm, makes me wonder. And the other one we didn't mention here is from uh, the folks who brought us Tunnel Bear. Uh, they're a Toronto uh, Toronto group. Um, they've got a new product called Remember <laughs> that, that uh, does the same sort of thing and that they're, they're part of the same Tunnel Bear company. Well, that's kind of cool. Right? Wait, so they're also um, on, what's with what's with Torontonians and encryption? What's what's up with that? What are you, what are you all hiding over there? Inquiring minds want to know. Anyway, uh, so my stealth picks are something that I picked up from, from 360 iDev today. I've actually downloaded one of them and one of them I already have access to because I'm a set app uh, um, subscriber. This is what I was talking about with Josh Michaels uh, softwares. So he's involved with the people. He's not the guy who made the Arial Mac screensaver. But if you have an Apple TV and you've watched anything on Apple TV and you've left your Apple TV alone for a few minutes while it goes into its screensaver mode, you get these awesome Arial screensavers, right? Um, so they've, uh, this Arial screensaver you can put on your Mac uh, loads up. I'm not sure if it's the same content you get on the Apple, Apple server, but or sorry, from Apple for the for the Apple TV, but same sort of idea. You got these really cool uh, flyovers of different things, and uh, that ends up being your your uh, your screensaver. And I loaded it up. On, I've got three screens on my on my desk right now. And a little while ago, I left it alone, and there was this really cool you know flyover happening. 
Like there's a fly over the uh, over the Catalina Islands, which is kind of cooler than Apple's one, which is kind of neat. But the product that uh, he was talking about that's on setup called is called 24-hour wallpaper, and it was you know like when Apple came up with Mojave, they they call them dynamic desktops where they've got the you know the Mojave Mountain, and depending on the time of day, the color of the image changes, right? So during the day it's nice and bright, at night that's sort of a cool you know sand dune kind of look to it. Um, so this 24-hour wallpaper apparently has been around for quite a while it wasn't there apple wasn't the first one to come up with this idea but but uh, yeah if you like that kind of uh kind of thing um and you're a set app subscriber uh you can grab 24 hour wallpaper and it's the same sort of thing which is, it's a dynamic uh desktop that uh changes as the day changes for you so uh, those are both uh My, joss michael's involved in both of those products although the second one 24 hour wallpaper is his, his product so that's uh those are my picks give them a try and the uh, aerial uh the aerial screensaver is not on the Mac App Store. It's actually downloaded and sideloaded, as we were talking about earlier at the top of the show. That's cool. Alrighty, so I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, how many people want to get in touch with you? How will they find you? I'm on Twitter as at DevWithTheHair. All right, and Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at SmapSoft.com. All right, and as I say every week, my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. This is CNN. What's that? Oh, I just thought the James Earl Jones thing was kind of cool. Oh, wrong show, right? If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Okay, I can log into Twitter now. I had to, had to kill a bunch of uh, bunch of stuff, and my, my machine just almost died there. I was kind of expecting the, the call to go out, but it kind of got into the uh, spinning beach ball mode, and everything is incredibly slow and draggy. And you know, Windows take ten minutes to open. Yeah, you're you're uh, you're riding that one into the ground. I'm assuming. I don't think this is a new one, right? You still got? Yeah, that. no, this is my 2013. Yeah, yeah, yeah I gotta. I gotta get a new machine. Yeah. At this point, you kind of—I mean, unless you're willing to to see this happen—you uh, kind of want to wait like a month or two to see if anything comes out in September, or October, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, see if they come up with a Apple Silicon machine. Oh, that'd be interesting if you went that route. I meant just like even just a refresh of the Intel's. Uh, oh, if, if, you, if you didn't want well, to they, jump into the the Silicon, they usually don't. Uh, they usually don't update Macs in the fall, right? The Macs are usually in the spring, aren't they? Yeah, although. Oh, the 2019, uh, the 16 inch MacBook Pro that I have, I thought that one came out in fall, but hmm, you know, it was like, okay. you know, an odd duck when it came out. So maybe it was off cycle. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah.
Hey, do you guys know if I tag a commit, can I check out that commit or? Sure. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'd, I'd say, oh, are you doing this through your like GitHub or are you doing it through a command? No, I'm, I'm in Xcode. I, 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 so when I was oh, working along with Paul, when I was working with Paul Hudson, um, he was using the same file. And so he would, he would write some code and then. He would wipe it again, go back to like the beginning where you just got the, the standard content view, and then he would do some a different thing. And as he was doing it through the day, I just kept committing. I would wipe. I would work along with him. I'd wipe back to the beginning, but then I would, you know, I've got lazy V stack. I've got disclosure group. I've got tab view, paging, you know, paging dots and all that stuff. I've got the grid views, multiple columns, adaptive columns. Um, map annotations um the um what do you call it we have the parent and the children views you know what they call that uh sidebars and, and animating animating things in in swift ui so anyway I, I just used the same file and i just did a commit for each one of the different uh endpoints in the in the um the demos so i just wondered if i could i thought i had done them as separate i was going to see if i could break them out into separate branches but because they're all sort of indistinct from each other yeah what do you think yeah well of course you can yeah you can definitely commit or put check out a check out a commit uh um, yeah now Actually, can you do that directly in X? Yeah, you can. You for sure can in Xcode. Uh, can you check out a tag in Xcode? Is something I actually never do. I I, I do everything command line, so I don't really. So know. would I be able to check out the ta- check out the commit right? Because yep. I, I finished it at this point, and I said, okay, this is lazy V stack. So could I check that out and then branch create a branch from there, and then go back to the main and then do the next one? Sure. Yeah. the The reason I asked you some of the the usage you were doing is that depending on your use case, you may or may not care about the difference between between an annotated tag versus an unannotated tag. And I honestly don't know which one, if, you know, maybe both that Xcode supports because similar, Mark, I end up using the, the command line for this. The, yep. the thing to know is that like a normal Git tag uh, for the Git command line, and we'll talk about GitHub because it, it muddies the waters. A normal Git tag is just like a pointer to a commit. And it's very lightweight, right? You can say like, oh, this was like, you know, right before lunch tag. All right, cool. You know, no, no harm, mm-hmm. no foul. You're letting yourself know, like, this is what I was doing. Um, and I can come back to this if I wanted to change uh, to something else later. Um, if you wanted to share tags with somebody else, like for tagging a release and saying, this is version 1.6.7 of the app, and, and you're sharing with a team as an example, you want an annotated tag because that's like an actual like commit object or something where it has an author and um, uh, uh, a hash uh, associated with it, right? So you couldn't accidentally overwrite your, your teammate's tag if it's an annotated tag, but they can absolutely overwrite your tags if you both push to the same remote or the unannotated tags. And where it ends up getting sort of complicated is that, uh, you know, GitHub's UI, when it says, like, you know, create a tag, they really mean create an annotated tag because they are intending for you to do, like, tag a release sort of thing. So it's very muddy as a terminology there. But maybe you don't care. Maybe you just want to know, like, hey, (laughs) I want to get to this particular point on my local project. Then I think you're probably just fine. And and yes, you can check those out, Tim. They're, They're definitely meant for you to be able to go back to that point in time. Yeah, and I'm looking inside Xcode now, and you absolutely can create tags and check out tags in within Xcode, which probably everybody knew. But uh, like I said, I do it on command line. Yeah, you're old school. Yeah, so you're saying that he was um, doing something and then showing like, well, this is what we could do, but that's not actually the main part of what we're doing. I'm just showing you what was possible. So now I'm going to go well, no, back he, to he a did, tag of like where we're on the right path. He had two approaches. He he um, he uh, 
uh, we created a sandbox file, right? Sandbox project, right? And then, um, like for instance, he wanted to do the first exercise was lazy, lazy V stack, right? So he, he brought in some JSON with country names and some flag images, right? And then we made a, a list and just uh, used the lazy V stack to for performance pr- purposes, right? Like if you have a big, huge data set, um, you know, the lazy V stack behaves similar to like the reusable or what do you call them? Um, DQ, DQ reusable cell uh, call in table view. Same sort of idea as that, right? That's why you, because you, you could just have a V stack, right, of, of elements that are vertically stacked, right? Or you could have a lazy V stack for when you have a, a lot of them and you need performance, right? Um, that's what lazy, so so he did that. Like he started off with the plain, you know, hello world, um, you know, standard Swift UI view, and then we went through and modified it. And so then at that point, I committed, right, called it lazy V stack. And then, we, then he rewound everything back down to like, he got rid of all the content and just popped in a, you know, hello world text view again. And then uh, he went on to the next thing, which was disc- disc- um, disclosure groups where you have like a, you know, a parent. And like, for instance, I've got this thing that says show saying, and then the saying was the rain in Spain, right? Kind of thing. But um, that was a, demonstrating how you do, do disclosure groups, right? And then uh, back to the main basic. So, so as I did, well, I said in my main. Um, oh, this is interesting. I just realized this. The name of the branch is main, not that other word that we're not supposed to use anymore. And this is an Xcode twelve, right? They changed that for the the betas. So coming in September, yeah. when you yeah. create a new project, it will use main instead of master. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's a corresponding version of Git, like two twenty eight or something. That when that comes out by default it will use main when creating branches, uh, creating repos. Yeah, something I've seen um, books do and, and sometimes uh, workshops do is they'll have the repository and then they'll say, you know, if you're if you're looking to follow along or you got to step out, you know, we'll have these different tags in the repository that you can check out. So um, if it was a book, it might say, you know, chapter one, two, three, four, five. And, you know, assuming they're using the same project throughout the entire book and they're making modifications to it. Um, or during workshops, they're usually logically named, you know, like, you know, initial projects, um, you know, add our first data model, add our first screen, add a second screen, that sort of thing. So you can try to follow along and the tags are pretty useful for that. It's certainly easier than telling you to check it. Hey, Tim, go check out commit a seven, four, two, four, six, seven, eight, nine, two. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Come on, that's well, we use it. At, we use it don't you know that? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We, we use it in, we use it at work for, um, our CocoaPods, right? So our CocoaPod version or for mm-hmm. our like our framework versioning right tagging a version yeah and that's pretty useful to you right when you're like oh you know this version went wrong mm, well let me go check out that one and see what's different between between the previous one and and this one or maybe uh maybe you've got a regression in your latest coding like well how does it differ from the released version and then you can take a look and compare now, how do i know where i'm checked out from you mean remote yeah like or, i just checked or which out. branch you checked out no which commit which commit get status uh how do you do that next code oh it'll say currents <laughs> in somewhere right oh it's a sandbox nine eight whatever oh head detached at blah 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 it says, yeah right yeah okay so that's where i am okay i'm just gonna create a branch from here and head detached means you can't uh, commit 
Oh yeah. Hmm. You have to. Well, you have to create a new branch from this dash table. Yeah, which I just did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All like uh, even though I created this this new lazy V stack, I have every other commit before it involved. Like so, you know what I mean? Like I checked out I checked out a particular commit, and I wanted to just you know have that code in the in the branch. Oh, it's fine. It's a demo app anyway. Well, you mean you wanted yeah. to just cherry pick that one commit into a branch into a new branch? Yeah, maybe that's what I wanted. That's to what do. you yeah, want yeah. to do in a fresh branch. Yeah, because well, because if I right click on this, I might. Cho- my choices are copy commit message, cop- copy identifier, email myself, tag it, branch from it, or create cherry. Or I can branch from here. But does that, that isn't that just what I just did? But cherry pick is just going to pull out the what's that pull out? It'll just pull out the one commit. So if you branch, you're getting your commit and all the previous commits right, up to okay. the one you branch on. But if you right. cherry pick, you just pull that one commit and pull pull that into that. some other branch, which oh, may oh, cause problems. Yeah, no, it says not on that yeah. branch. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. I'll just live with it. Cherry picking can be useful um, for a couple different ways. Like uh, one would be, oh, I'm on a different branch, but I kind of need the changes that Bob and Sally were working on from their branch. Right. All right, well, I can cherry pick. It, it's it's dangerous because you could totally hose up. I'm not good enough at this to avoid it, but I'm, you could totally hose up You know what they're trying to do. So it, it can take some coordination. But one thing I have used cherry picking for in a very useful case is like, oh no, I've screwed up this branch <laughs> i need to check out yeah like uh the yeah. commit that i know that things were okay and then cherry yeah, pick yeah. over the, the stuff one, that's one actually good to see yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. tim uh sticker mule sent me a tim mitra shared the I following sent it item. To you. i sent it to you you did okay i sent it because it came yeah. from sticker mule but i'm like that seems like spam i don't think tim probably would have told me yeah so i was like liars and the, oh okay he, he actually did all right this is to reorder <laughs> pin, acrylic pins and oh it's got all the other stickers and stuff too okay cool yeah uh so what it was uh was uh the, the holographic ones they need to be a black key line the white key line doesn't look very good but uh no i just ordered they just had a deal on pins for like nine bucks or something like that for for a sample of them right so i figured well what the hell just try it out but then after i finished my order it said oh you can share it with your friend and i thought well if i send it to mark it's just going to go into a spam folder right not anymore i didn't turn off that rule (laughs) that's no longer there <laughs> Couldn't resist. But just Sorry. to be safe, I'm going to check. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't send it to you. I didn't okay. send it to you. But uh, yeah, I know I sent it. I mean, like, because Carol was like, oh, do you want some more masks made up? I'm like, well, we're not going to see anybody, right? So did, did we sent you extra masks, though, right? Didn't we? Or how many How many did you get? Jaime? I got a pack of three. And I thought it was pretty interesting that you all had the the little uh, piece of paper printed in. Yeah, Carol, Carol threw that in. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, oh, that's a yeah. pretty sensible. It's like, hey, by the way, like these aren't intended for you to go be you know completely irresponsible <laughs> wear it for a week yeah yeah, yeah. you, know, you got to wash these things and uh, they're, they're not yeah. meant to to um be in replacement of social distancing right like i was like oh that's a and then you 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 attach it onto the loop so you like you have to have the person remove it uh, and and hypothetically oh, have read oh, it. i didn't know that so that i thought that was pretty oh. smart so all three were were looped She's together tricky. with a little piece of paper that was stapled. Oh, neat. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Anyways, I, I think she gave you three because like she wanted to give you one to give away. Because like, normally we send two, right? One one to wear and one to wash sort of thing, right? Oh, well. At least. Okay. Well, I've only... Well, I think I've worn two. So you're telling me I'm supposed to save the third one? <laughs> no, I mean, if you want to give it to somebody, you can give it to somebody. If not, otherwise, just use it yourself, right? So... Yeah, yeah. As long as you're supporting the brand and, you know, grocery shopping and people go, what's that MTJC about, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's good. Because I've, 
I've, I've worn at least two so far. Um, cool. Okay. Don't you have regular masks? I do. I have uh, okay. I have masks from uh, from Old Navy. I have. Oh yeah. Uh, I have Dallas Cowboys masks. I have Star Wars masks. Now I have MTJC Ooh, masks. Yeah. So I've, I'm definitely all masked right, up right. now after being severely without at the beginning of the pandemic. Right. Yeah. So people are wondering, like, oh, why do you have so many masks? Like one, uh, it means I don't have to like immediately wash them. I can isolate them and, and wash them as a bundle. And two, it also means that uh, rather than trying to shove everything, all right, well, well I wore this mask, kind of need to go mm-hmm. take out the trash. Should I use another mask? Yeah. It's, uh, it's like, well, now yeah. it's like, yeah, obviously I'll just use a fresh mask. They're, they're practically disposable and then I'll just end up washing them all and reusing them, uh, which is better than the disposable, which is nice. And uh, I kind of feel like, well, worst case, uh, assuming we get through the pandemic, should another thing come up in a similar way, I have extras that I can distribute to people who would need them. It's not everybody's going to, you know, not everybody's <laughs> going to store masks uh, once we get through this whole thing. Well, our our uh, our head physician, Canadian medical, whatever woman, the woman, Dr. Tam, who's in charge of whatever, she says we're going to be wearing masks for uh, at least another year, if not two, right? So there's a new, there's a new, we were talking about them earlier, the new, the new uh, iPhone case or the new, the new, like t-shirts or whatever, like, you know, yeah, it's going to yeah. be the new way you identify, right? Yeah. You'll have your, your Guns N' Roses mask and your... <laughs> Rolling Stones mask. I'm surprised yeah. it took as long as it did for all of these different companies to um, yeah. to to retool and start taking advantage of the, the opportunity they had. I mean, let's not you know say like oh like it would have been better if they'd done it for like a community. I'm like I'm sure it would if they'd done it out of the goodness of their hearts. But at the very minimum, you would think, hey, we have a you know a very uh, popular brand. I bet we could sell more swag by making <laughs> turn that T-shirt material into into face mask material, and boom, we're done uh, apparently it was more complicated than that which probably speaks to a lot of the, the challenges in you know supply chains that it's not as easy to turn on a dime as as we might think yeah but yeah thank you i definitely definitely appreciate them yours hasn't have arrived yet mark oh oh i didn't know you sent any no i haven't gotten any. yes yeah mine just popped up out of there blue. for a moment i don't want you to feel left out or nothing mark <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just showed yeah. up out of the blue um they were delivered by the u.s postal service so yeah that, that might be the do. problem yeah 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 they're, they're going by the slow slow boat yeah well for, sure. for me u.s post, postal service is actually much faster than ups right now ups is a disaster it takes an extra week even for you know you they send it overnight and it still takes an extra week that's weird. UPS is usually pretty decent here in my area. I wonder what's going on there. It's always been perfect up until the pandemic, but it's just been a mess. And the worst part is that they don't just tell you that it's going to be an extra week. If they did, if they said, look, you know, we got drivers out sick, pandemic, it's going to be an extra week. Okay, fine. But what they do is every single day they say, oh, it's going to be delivered today. And it isn't. And then at really? nine o'clock at night, they say, oh, delayed one day. What? At least they've got a little better. At the beginning, they were doing things like... I would get a message at nine o'clock at night for a package that was being delivered from let's say Arizona, right? I would get a I would get a message saying, Oh, your package was delayed because of export compliance uh nonconformance. Like what the it's not coming from out of the country. It's coming from Arizona. Really? Yeah. And then the next day, that message is gone, and there's a new message that's equally inane. And then a week later, it shows up. Yeah, it's terrible. Wow. Yeah, I uh, I've actually seen the converse of that happen. Where you know normally I just assume that this stuff ends up coming by ground because it's the cheapest way. And mm-hmm. I can't remember which set of masks it was that I got, but it was coming. Oh, you know what? It was probably the it was probably the Star Wars ones because it was coming out of Jacksonville in Florida, and then 
then it sort of made its way up the coast to New York. And it said, oh, it's going to deliver tomorrow. I'm like, dude, it's not delivering tomorrow. It took like a couple days to get from Jacksonville to New York. I'm like, unless they put that damn thing on a plane, it is not coming here tomorrow. And guess what? Mm. It did come because I guess it was on truck getting its way to the plane that was coming to the Seattle area. I was very shocked. But it was also very, you know, it it wasn't like I could predict what was going to happen, right? Like I predicted wrong. I said, oh, obviously they're pulling shenanigans like what you just talked about. Like there's no way it's coming tomorrow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it did, but usually it doesn't happen that way. Usually it's like, is it going to be delivered today? I'm like, is it though? It's 7 p.m. I don't think it's going to be delivered (laughs) unless they come at midnight. So I'm pretty sure that's tomorrow morning they're delivering that, right? They they play those games with the the numbers. Yeah. I should check if it's waiting at my door though. Hold on one second. Ooh, the excitement. Drum roll, please. Doesn't go outside, this guy. He's taking a while. It sounds like he has it. Oh, no sign of it. No? All right. You win that one, Tim. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, what? I mean, you actually thought it was going to be there? Yeah, because it was taking a little while from the sounds that we were hearing in the background. And Tim said, I, I don't think it's there. And I said, like, all right, I'll take the counter. I'll think it's there oh, just because okay. of the time <laughs> that it's taking. It sounded like you were inspecting the package to see if it was actually from Tim. Oh, no, no. Really? What's it? All I did was I went to the door. I undid the deadlock and opened the door. Did that make some weird noises? Yes. Okay. I, I heard uh, metal moving, so I assumed it was. Yeah, it was probably the deadlock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, deadbolt. I mean, not deadlock. Deadbolt. Deadlock. <laughs> I've been working with threads lately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I discovered uh, that was I talking about this already? That that oh maybe I talked about this in the last one. That a common misconception among young young junior engineers is or or confusion with young engineers is between async and sync and serial. And yeah, you current. mentioned that. Yeah, did I talk about that? Yeah. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah, but I, you know what? I, I listened to that part of the episode. We didn't actually resolve it for people. Oh, oh. Said, oh they're different. It's an exercise to, to the reader to figure <laughs> that exercise out. Exercise to the listener. Yeah. <laughs> This is a test. Are you? A, does anyone want to admit they're a junior engineer and are confused? <laughs> yeah, just in this standoff here, it was like, well, I know what it is, but why don't you tell people what it is? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you tell me what you think it is, and I'll tell you if you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it can be a tricky thing because um, a related confusion is, oh, well, concurrent in things ends up being faster than serial, right? It's like, well, kind of depends. Maybe. <laughs> don't yeah. be don't be mistaken by by you know the 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 uh, quantitative attributes of some things that happen to be serial and some things that happen to be uh, you know concurrent. Like there's you know uh, depending how long it takes you to set up and do the concurrent parts um, may be longer than just like really fast turnaround on let's just serially do these things. I remember being very confused uh, pretty early on as a person getting into computers. I'm like, oh, so. Um, what was I comparing? It, it was like on the physical cable that was like, oh, the serial port sucks because it's got to send data in a series. And, you know, it's like a physical line, right? Like you, you you get all backed up waiting for things to move over. And so obviously having, you know, this 20 pin connector or something that does things in parallel, uh, that's going to be faster. It's like, well, no, actually that parallel is going to be slower than this other thing that does things in serial, but happens to not have the same sort of timing delays that uh, the original serial port had. Doing a very terrible job of describing what this was, and I'm probably gonna have to research to figure it out. But that was one of the first sort of entries into. Well, it's not necessarily true that one is better than the other for for all cases. You get the stickers and 
some pins here. Right. Well, I will recall it. Yeah, I'll be watching mm-hmm. for those masks. I do need some masks, so that's good. <laughs> I've been using. If I bought at the beginning, I bought this package of like a hundred disposable masks, and I've been working through those. But you know, that's not the best for the for the world. Yeah, you see the. I don't know if you saw the cartoon of um, or uh, you know those little newspaper cartoons of uh, some mice saying, "There's all these hammocks out there. People are just throwing yeah. them away." Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. yep, mice hammocks. Alrighty. We'll call All it right. a day. Sounds good. Time for me. Alright, turn to a pumpkin. Okay. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. See ya. Bye. Bye.